You're listening to That'll Preach, a weekly segment on the Four Oaks Midtown podcast. We're glad to have you guys here. I'm Brian Zhang. I'm here with the wonderful, wise sage, Paul Rizkala. I'm just going to keep adding I, I was just about to say, I think every single time you introduce me, the title gets longer and more ridiculous. I, what I want to do is I want people to have such high expectations of you that you cannot possibly meet them. <laughs> so they're just like in, automatically disappointed when they see me? Exactly. You're just setting I mean, me up for failure? We're usually disappointed when we see you, Paul. <laughs> That's but, messed uh, up. Yeah, well, you know. Thankfully, we have someone more interesting we joining have us someone today. someone very, very interesting the famous Meredith Schaefer. Yes, very She's, exciting. She, she hates that I just said that, but we're <laughs> gonna we're just gonna shower her with compliments. Meredith Schaefer is a member of Four Oaks Midtown. Awesome. Speaking of wise, yeah, She's full the, of wisdom. Yep. Awesome person. Loves the Bible. Loves to disciple people. Just great, a great fun at cello. Person, great at cello. Just a fun person <laughs> to be around, and has a lot of insights. Meredith, how you doing? I'm great. <laughs> Thank was, you for having me. Wasn't that just a burst of light? That was I mean, so genuine. <laughs> I feel better about life already. Like we're just, you know, it's just like we need. You know what it is? It's that. It's that feminine presence. You know, you just get guys talking on podcasts forever. It's That's just, true. Who wants to do that? You know, like when Darlena, we did that podcast with Darlena for Safe Families. Much more enjoyable to listen to. You know what I'm saying? Yes, women are more enjoyable to listen to. That's than, true. Than you, Brian. That's true. But we've got we've got Meredith here with us. Meredith, you also you're a teacher by trade. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, I um, for the last five years I've been teaching literature and Bible and history and worldview at a sweet school called Christ Classical Academy. Prior to that, I homeschooled my children for about five years, and I. I've been teaching and studying the Bible for 18 years. That's amazing. Wow. What have you done with your life, Brian? Nothing <laughs> compared to that. But you know what? She missed one really significant part of her life. She worked for Aflac. Oh, my goodness. That's right. She invented the Aflac. That, that's actually her voice. People don't know this. Wow. Right? That was a whole nother life. That was another that life. That was a whole nother life. Well, you're but kidding. Thank no, you for I'm bringing serious. it up. Right? She worked for Yes, Netflix. I was um, an insurance mogul. Yes, a I was mogul. a sales she was, guru. Yeah. Wait, wait, um, but the actual Aflac thing was your voice? No, okay. no, 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 no. That no. sounded too. It sounded like obscure <laughs> no. enough that it could be. Uh, true. We should have just let you go with that and you just hang out with your, no. you know, who does that. I voice. was like, that's really impressive. Yes. Um, I was in the insurance business. My dad um, was in the insurance business, and I was one of those kids that said, I'll never get into the insurance business like my dad. And after college, I did for a few years. So, yes, I'm a former insurance salesperson. Oh, that's like you. You know, your dad was a famous mafia guy in New York. And that's you're right. Like, never going to join them. And then look, look at, at you me now, now mm-hmm. right? doing podcasts in Tallahassee. I mean, that's how you're fundraising for your, you know, your philosophy degree, you know? That's not true, but okay. That's not true at all. <laughs> but anyway, so Meredith, if you ever get a chance to meet her, chance to know her, hang out with her, and you're gonna, you just, you're gonna be blessed for that. It's a great time. Thank you. We're Brian. glad that you're here. <laughs> Thank you. But uh, anyway, what, one of the things that we're trying to do is we're gonna continue on with our ODG series, old, dead guys. Guys, except, but, but today, uh-huh. what is it, Paul? We have a little plot twist. Old dead, old dead gal. That makes it sound morbid. Yeah, it does. But uh, we're bringing in uh, 
a Christian who has a remarkable story. Mm. I mean, just to say the least. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, just, it's an amazing story. It's Corey Ten Boom. Mm-hmm. And uh, Corey Ten Boom, uh, she basically wrote this memoir, this autobiography about her time uh, in a concentration camp. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was literally, you know, her and her family, they were basically hiding Jews from the Nazis in their home. And then they got caught for that. And mm-hmm. then she was actually, she became essentially, I mean, not essentially she was, she was a prisoner and yeah. suffered greatly and, uh, and endured, you know, just horrible evil in her life. And yet through it all, she had this remarkable faith. Uh, and so if you've ever gotten the chance to read the hiding place, which is basically that's her memoir. I mean, the details, the vividness of the things that she went through, it really is, it's spellbinding. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it, you just can't believe that somebody endured this much. It's so inspirational too. And it, it reminds you of sometimes when you see the real suffering that other people go through and then come out with their faith intact. Mm-hmm. That reminds you sometimes of sometimes the smallness and insignificance of like right. our own problems. And so you go like, well, if she can like go to a political prisoner concentration camp and mm-hmm. her faith not only like was intact, but grew stronger as a result, um, there's there's hope for me. That's right. really inspirational. Right. One of the things that is a major theme of the book, especially towards the end, you know, but it's 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 filtered throughout the entire book because she's writing in retrospective is the idea of forgiveness. Mm. And that's what we want to focus on today. Talk about forgiveness, what it is, what what forgiveness means for a Christian. And we 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 want to recruit Corey Tenboom kind of to help us think through, okay, when we talk about forgiveness, I mean, we're being concrete about what we mean. Mm. I mean, she's forgiving people who have essentially murdered her family, Mm -hmm. family members who have caused her untold years of suffering. And she still takes serious the call to forgive, Mm. you know, and uh, forgiveness is a tricky thing. It's one of those things where you go, you you read Jesus, you know, in the the Lord's prayer, you know, uh, forgive us, forgive us our debts as we forgive others, you know, or Jesus telling parables of like, forgive 70 times seven, all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. we kind of go, man, that's a great, you know, sentiment. (laughs) But then it's like, no, do you know what he's saying? Mm -hmm. Do you you recognize the radical call of what a Christian is supposed to do when they're sinned against? And Corey Ten Boom, I mean, she did it. She wasn't, she wasn't just a hearer of the word. She was a doer. Mm. And I think that's what's so powerful about this. Um, do you guys, Merida, I mean, you've been reading this for mm-hmm. a while. What what got you interested into this? What was compelling about it for you that uh, started this, this journey of studying Ten Boom and learning about her? Well, I first read about her as a new Christian in my 30s. And I began to read a lot of biographies, autobiographies about Christians um, missionaries. Mm. And so that's when I, I actually think it was from teaching missions at Four Oaks in the kids ministry, Corey Ten Boom was one of our features. And that might've caused me to, to actually read about, read her story, the hiding place. So I was first introduced to her then. And then for the last several years, it it's been part of the curriculum 
in my history and literature class, we love to study history through literature of time mm-hmm. periods. Mm-hmm. So when we study World War II, we read Corey Ten Boom. That's awesome. Yeah, wow. World War, I mean, by the time she uh, ends up in the concentration camp or the, as, a, as mm-hmm. a prisoner, she's in her 50s. Yeah. And so this book traces, you know, it starts off when she's young, starts off, and then, you know, as she grows up and as she's watching her family take in these uh, Jewish people in her community, protecting them from... Now, I, I, I think one of the great stories that pops up is when they did those drills mm. where, like, they would wake them up in the middle of the night and be like, are there any Jews here? And they would have to instinctively go, no, we don't know what you're talking about. Mm. Because they know that, you know, when you wake up, you're vulnerable. You might spill something. You might say something. And just thinking that that was their reality, that at any moment, this whole thing yeah. could be compromised. And then it happened. The thing that they feared happened, right? And they were exposed. And then she has to suffer in these horrible conditions. And, I, you know, that's amazing that you read that as a new Christian. I'd be like, man, it's yeah. scary. <laughs> I know, right? You're like, right. what in the world? And I think that brings up a, a question of is... When I was talking about reading those Christian biographies, I I feel like some of the series were literally called Heroes of the Faith. And and I don't know, are there categories? Do you, you know, are there there Corey Ten Booms and the Meredith Schaefer's and Brian Zangs? (laughs) I mean, we don't know what God is going to ask us to do Mm. and so should we have these levels of like super christian hero or we're just a nominal you know moderate christian it's i love that you want to talk about forgiveness is this what god calls and commands all of his children to do is Mm. forgive now her circumstances were extreme right yeah um but is this a call to special Christians or all Christians and how does it look in our lives? I yeah, think it's challenging. Question. Yeah. That's yeah. Good point. I mean, it, we, we do have a tendency to in exalting some of these people in the past to almost exempt ourselves from, yeah. it, you know, but I, one thought that kept going through my head as I was reading through this book was I couldn't do that. Mm. Like that. The, wow. I would have checked out chapter three, you know, like, I, no, there's no way I could not do that. And, but what's, what's great about this book is Ten Boom is over and over again, she's kind of like, I can't do this, yeah, but God, yeah. you are going to help me. Yeah, yeah. Right. So she's not special, and, and she'd be the first one to say that. It's amazing. Uh, it, this book is actually a, a fascinating book on how God answers prayers. I mean, there's so many things that God answers in this book, mm. it, that like, like specific answers and specific things that happen that are amazing, and uh, and. You know, you, you see that despite all these re- just horrible circumstances, God appears more real to her than mm-hmm. than most of us experience. And I don't think it's because she's extra special. No, look at her childhood. The, the people that helped her write this, write it as a flashback, and they start when Corey is six years old. So we get a glimpse and... How, because it's in the fifth in her fifties that yeah, yeah. that this amazing thing happens, but her life from her earliest childhood is simply a home, 
and a family that day by day, like clockwork, they're mm. clockmakers, yeah, yeah, yeah. by the way, God, you're brilliant yeah. with your story yeah, yeah, yeah. telling. They abide in the word of God. Mm. They abide in prayer and very simple, mundane, mm. like clockwork mm. um, patterns. I know you guys are talking about liturgies yeah. and patterns yeah, yeah, yeah. and spiritual disciplines. The discipline of the 10 boom home is what absolutely prepares her in the future hmm. to hide herself yeah. in Jesus and the word of God. Um, so I think like we're talking about what if God calls us to do some great big thing? It's what are you today doing? Are you seeking God? Are you praying? Are you in the word of God? They served their family also in many different ways served needy people in their community. Mm. Um, what a showcase of just community and fellowship, the time where you know all of your neighbors. So when the time came for this, um, you know, what, what we marvel at this amazing thing, her life was built on a liturgy and a practice of just simply abiding in the word of God. That's what as a parent, hmm. um, as a discipler, as a Christian who maybe like looks at today and says, wow, crazy stuff is happening today. Yeah. Are you going to call us to do something amazing, <laughs> Lord? It's like abide and hide yourself in the word of God day by day. And since it's a flashback, there's these like you know, what's coming, what's coming. The, the authors help us see that on the horizon, there's trouble. Mm. But at the core of how was this family able to do this was their faith, God's grace and their faithfulness and, and the simple mundane things mm. abiding in the word of God. Well, it's just, the, that's a great way to look. I mean, it, it, it is even their endeavor to save these Jewish people in their community was they, they, it was, it was mundane. It was like, you know, they, 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 they know these people, they bring them in, mm -hmm. they feed them, they talk yeah. with them. And then, you know, oh, there might be something that's going to happen. An officer comes in, they shuffle them away and they come back and they go back to normal life. Mm. I mean, they, to have an operation like that, it's just daily faithfulness, daily discipline, daily, you know, and it just, it just molds them into these kinds of people. Mm. You know, and I think we've been talking about that a lot, how sometimes when we think, like you were saying, is God going to have us do this amazing thing? This Well, it's like, well, where does it start? You know, like God prepares us in the mundane. You know, it's not as though we get this major rush of like, now I'm ready to do it. You know, a lot of times it's everything in our life, all the little trials, none of them are wasted. They're, they're. We can waste them if we don't respond rightly. I think mm. that's important. I think that's another thing that we see, especially her father is a great. Right. I, yeah. he, I almost am like, you're not a real person. <laughs> like some of the things that he says, but that influence on that family right. is so powerful. And it even goes through when they're separated. Mm. And he's, she still remembers like, right. what would he say? Or what yeah, would he yeah. do? What was that great example with uh, her father and the the load that we were talking about right. earlier? Right. Yeah. Um, yes. Early on in in the retelling of her story, there's a memory of something happening at school. I believe she was six years old in elementary school, and some kind of controversial 
word mm. came up. I actually think it had to do with sex. And so yeah, she's yeah. the six-year-old girl who people are acting weird at school about this word. And she comes home to her dad. And what, what's beautiful is she goes right to her father. She's got this, mm. I'm scared. What does this mean? What do I do? And again, you see a six-year-old's habit of, I'm going to go and take this to my father. Mm-hmm. So she takes this to her father and they happen to be on a train ride. And her father listens to her and he has his luggage is on the ground or something like that. And he says, Corey, can you carry this luggage? And Corey goes to pick it up and it's too heavy Mm. for her. And he says something like, you don't have to carry that. You're, you know, I'm, you're not ready to carry this Corey. Mm. I'm going to carry it. So you don't need to worry about it Mm. right now. And so this image of, things happen we're we're you know burdened or i don't know what to do with this or i don't understand this or this is too much for me what a great pattern of going to your heavenly father and Mm. having this image in your you know moral imagination so to speak this image of this little girl and her father Mm. and the father saying you don't have to carry it i'm going to carry it for you Mm. and that comes back throughout the book because time and time again it's i can't i mean what a great mindset she was being trained i can't do this i don't want to do this Mm. i don't and and confessing i mean you see this inner prayer life in her her family and her sister um where they they confess i can't do something Mm. God, you're going to have to do it. And they take that little step of obedience and God meets them Mm. in the obedience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are the things that, again, regardless of what the Lord would have us to do, these are things that should challenge us now. Like you said, Brian, just in the mundane things. And do we know God? He loves to do what we can't do. Mm. Like he, like... He loves, I can't, like, I can't help me. Like that's, I'm poor and needy. I'm destitute. I I mean, we have a a book full of those examples of approaching God. So that's how we are to approach our heavenly father. Mm. It's, you talked a little bit about parenting too. Like the fact that she had that moment with her father that you described Mm -hmm. it, it's one thing to just, you can teach your kids Bible verses and and I'm not a parent, but I'm just imagining, you know, but she saw, Oh, this is the real deal. You really believe this. Right. You know, it's like, you can't fake that in front of kids. I don't think they, they go, you might be saying all this stuff, but the fact that the father would act that her, that she saw that in her, like you really believe that God carries the burdens of his people. Right. And you see that in her sister, Betsy is Mm. such a great, I I almost said character because it's like, this is a great story somebody made up. This is real life. I know. These are real people. It's crazy. This really <laughs> happened. Right. It really said these things. Mm. And she has a quote from Betsy. Her, her sister just says, but if God has shown us bad times ahead, it's enough for me that he knows about them. Mm. That's why he sometimes shows us things, you yep. know, to tell us that this too is in his hands. Mm. And I just think about that. That fits right with the... Like, I'm, you're not ready to carry this. I'll carry this. It's right. enough that God knows what the load is. I don't right. need to bear it all. Mm. Right. I, I love that relationship between Corey and her sister because, again, we we consider her a heroine of the faith. But if you're remembering from the book, she often looked at her sister as like, 
you have this amazing faith. Right. I don't. She's the one lagging behind. Yeah, right. you know, that's how, that's how right. she viewed her sister. So, Well, forgiveness, when you think about on a specific level, when we talk about forgiveness and taking that first step of obedience, like you said, Meredith, you know, we, we, go, we sit there and you go, there's no way I could forgive this person for what they did to me. Mm. You know, and um, the, the, the thought that you're to forgive them full stop is incredibly daunting. Mm-hmm. And it's an example of that. You know, it, it, it's, it, it can in many ways feel the same way you'd feel if God were like, you know, I want you to go be a missionary in Uganda or something like that. And you're like, man, that's way beyond me. Well, on a personal level too, you can feel that weight of, there's how can I forgive? I don't have the emotional strength to do that. I don't think I'm spiritual enough to do that. I have too much anger in my heart to do that. And... It it is amazing how that is a reality that Corey Tenboom is facing. You know, she thinks about these German guards that are the reason for her sister's death mm. and her father's death and mm. her her suffering in this life. And yet, even that, God calls her to obedience and says, "No, you you do need to forgive." Um, but if you trust me and you recognize it is bigger than you to be able to forgive. You're going to find that my power is going to manifest in that, right? Just take the step to do it. Right. But, uh, I mean, what, on a, like, you know, do we need to, when you think about forgiveness, um, people often say, I'm not ready to forgive. Hmm. Um, is that a legitimate category for a Christian? What do you think, philosopher Paul? I mean, I, I don't even think you need to go to philosophy to get this. You get it straight from the new Testament you get it from Jesus's own words that um, your sins are forgiven. If you forgive and forgiveness is withheld, if you don't forgive. Um, So we have that like just straight out like exhortation from Christ himself. And he even gives us the parable of the the servants in Matthew 18, where one servant is forgiven a massive debt by the master. He goes off on his merry way. He sees a fellow servant who owes him, you know, something trivial and refuses to forgive him, throws him in prison. When the master finds out that this behavior took place, he was like, "Like, what's what's the deal? How I forgave you all of this debt, and someone had this tiny little trivial thing against you. You didn't." So there, the the idea is, our position to God is that of this tremendous debt, and if God is willing to forgive us that, then we have no right to hold people's offenses against us. Because they pale in comparison to our debt towards God. Mm-hmm. And so if he's willing to give that up and not hold that against us, then we also have an obligation to forgive those who um, sin against us. It's not easy. No. But again, this point that we keep coming back to is utter reliance on God. And a, high, grace. a high, high, high view of God and a right view mm. of ourselves. And the reality is we just have too high of a view of ourselves and our rights and what we are owed and what we are deserved. Mm. And that's what's competing when, when somebody's offended me or somebody speaks to me in a way that I don't like, or somebody, I, I need to, I mean, this is a training. I, until I get right positionally with like mm-hmm. what you're talking about, the gospel and the loving kindness of God toward me in the gospel, um, I am unable 
to not hold offenses against other people. Mm. I mean, so this is such a relational issue in our, you know, our homes and our friendships and our marriages and in our politics and in our, you name it, like, imagine with what's happening right now, if we could really preach forgiveness. Mm. I mean, culturally with what's happening in our country. I mean, it's like, it's important. (laughs) It's important. Even in Christian subculture, we can make this, you know, are you... Are you a are you a legit Christian? Is there fruit in your life? You know, and sometimes when we think about markers of passionate faith or genuine faith or whatever, we look at how expressive are you in worship? You know, or how you know how much do you post on Instagram? Or how cute is your family? Or how obedient? <laughs> and all these things, which aren't necessarily <clears throat> themselves bad, but you almost wonder. It's like, okay, are you a Christian? Do you forgive people? Mm. I mean, so, you know, I don't, I don't care about whether you wear a skirt down to your ankles or you don't ever swear or, yeah. you, you know, you're really politically active on the left or the right or whatever. Do you forgive? Mm. <clears throat> you know, it, it reminds me of in James when James says true religion is caring for widows and orphans. Mm-hmm. Do you care for widows and orphans? Yeah. He shows up to your church and yeah. you show them all your... Yeah, you know, your theological statement and your mm-hmm. great ministries and you know, all these things you do mm-hmm. and your solid exegetical preaching. Yeah, yeah. Now we got we got four hundred people at our thing, and James is like, "Where are your uh, Where are your orphans and your widows? How yeah. are they doing?" And I wonder if he'd go, "Okay, uh, you say we've got great community and people love on each other and life on life and all these Christian lingo. Are people forgiving each other when they're sinned against?" Mm. And then you go, oh man, that really hits, like, you can't fake that. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it comes back to like, what we talked about in the last series with sloth. Like sometimes we think like there, there's a busyness and there's like a, a superficiality that looks very Christian and it's easy to preoccupy ourselves with that stuff. But when like all the time God is calling us to something much more deep and much more radical, like, are you living self-sacrificially? Are you forgiving? Are you living in complete reliance on me? I couldn't care less like how big your church is, what like your community dynamics are. Like, are you actually doing the things that I care about? Um, you think of like Jesus' expert exhortation to the Pharisees of like, you know how much mint and dill to tithe. Like, you know, all the spices, the right amounts, but do you know, like, do you care about the greater things? Do you care about justice? Do you care about, you know, getting right actually with God and not just paying lip service with your lips? Um, and here we have in like Corey Tenboom. An instance where she's confronted with, like, I I can't imagine like, like even in my own life a, a, a person who's done that much damage to me psychologically, physically, materially, as the example with the the Nazi soldier in her in her life, um, and that like that is just, it's, it is mind blowing to think about forgiving someone in that capacity. Mm-hmm. We actually have a little clip of that where Corey Ten Boom talks about mm. the internal struggle she had to forgive this German girl who became a, he became a Christian. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll hear this. It's just powerful. We're going to play this clip real quick. Source of our strength is Jesus Christ himself. And his cross shows us that we can accept suffering as a part of God's plan for this world. 
When I was in a concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us of all our clothing. And we had to stand. The first time was the worst. I said, Betsy, I cannot bear this. And suddenly it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And the Bible tells, they took his garments, he hanged there naked. And I knew he hanged there for me, for my sins. And by my suffering, I understood a fraction of the suffering of Jesus Christ. And it made me so thankful that I could bear my suffering. Love. So amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Some people are afraid to look at the cross. Are you? Don't be afraid. The cross is terrible. It is terrible how Jesus suffered. Not to describe but you must not be afraid to look at it. For if you had been the only person in the world, Jesus should have suffered for your sins. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my sins rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I have guidance every day. It was some time ago that I was in Berlin. And there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bohm, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel officers, guards, in the concentra in concentration camp. And that man said, I have, I'm now a Christian. I have found the Lord Jesus. I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world. Also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Fräulein Tambom, once in here forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But when I saw, when I experienced that I could not forgive, suddenly I knew I myself have no forgiveness. Do you know that Jesus has said that? When you do not forgive those who have sinned against you, my heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. And I, I knew, oh, I'm not ready for Jesus' coming because I have no forgiveness for my sins. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then... I took one of these beautiful texts 
One of these boundless resources, Romans 5.5, the love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. That's a very powerful statement. Yeah. Uh, I love how the, the German soldier is like, I, now that I'm a Christian, I want to personally seek forgiveness from everyone I've harmed. Mm. And he gets to Corey Ten Boom and, and she goes, I can't. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't want to do this, which is very human. I mean, we, we hear that and it, it strikes a chord of us. I don't think I would do it either. Yeah. She doesn't jump. Like she's not gung ho. She's no. not this super spiritual. She goes like, you like you're responsible for deaths of my family members. Right. You caused like untold suffering to hundreds, maybe thousands of people. Like you represented a regime that was nothing but brutality, racism, genocide. And now like now you're on our side. Now you're a Christian. She still feels like this person is still I like to forgive this person would require an act of God. Right. And just because it's worth honoring this part of the clip that you just played, I just want to read it again slowly mm. and talk about it because I it's just it's so important. So so after the man approaches her um, and she's thinking, I cannot do it, she says, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. And, and this is the sweet little, you know, the act of obedience. As I took his hand, so she moves toward it. I don't mm. feel it. Nothing's mm. happening. Uh, you know, I'm even asking and he's not immediately doing it. Come yeah. on, I prayed. Mm. And she moves toward him. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. After the movement of obedience right. mm. um, from my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from him to me while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that al almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on Christ's. You can't wow. beat that. I mean, that. Wow. And that is so profound. See, she sees him. This man is now my brother. Mm. And think about mm -hmm. the early church when the apostle Paul comes knocking on their door. Mm. And they're wow. going, you through my cousins in jail. Mm-hmm. You're Saul the Ravager. Mm. And I think about when Saul's converted, they send, I think it's Barnabas or somebody, I think it's, is it Barnabas? I don't know. They send some guy over 
to uh, to, uh, to to meet up with Saul. And Barnabas is like, what are you talking about? You, which Saul are you? Like, you mean Saul Saul? Like that's the right. guy you want to go to? And then he ends up being the middle point to, to be like, hey guys, Saul's one of us now. Mm. I know, I know, I know. Right. It's crazy. <laughs> but is, is he a new creation or not? It's mm. binary. It's mm. black and white, right? And you no longer regard him according to his own nature. You regard him as, as somebody who's adopted in the same family as you. That mm. is the only kind of reconciliation. Everyone's talking <clears throat> reconciliation. That's the only ground of reconciliation. Mm. The blood of the Son of God to break down hostility between people. Mm. And <clears throat> that thing that, that Ten Boom realizes in that moment is, I that man has been forgiven by God. Mm. Right? If it's good enough for God, it's better yeah, be good yeah, enough yeah. for me. And I think that that love she's feeling is the love that God has for that man who's committed all these horrible sins. Mm. God doesn't, you know, ignore those things. But the whole point is God has dealt with that sin. Mm. God has... He has carried it. He's, he's carried, you know, the, the, right. you can't handle, I mean, to just take the symbol yeah, the and luggage. metaphor right. yeah, of yeah. the luggage yep. that is these heavy things in life, but the greatest luggage is the burden of <clears throat> the penalty right. of the wages of sin, which is death. And yes, Jesus and took how it. Much, how much interpersonal strife, think about in marriages or even now with just all the political strife, racial strife, class strife, all this <clears> stuff, <throat> how much anger is coming from us going, I want you to carry it, carry all of it, all your, I want you to be crushed by it. And until you are eradicated by it, then I'll forgive you. Mm. And nobody can bear that. No. Nobody can bear that. And I think that's why we have this, a lot of this unrest, not ignoring in evils and injustices and horrible things, but at the end of the day, you know, only God has the power to, 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 to abolish the condemnation over a person. And once he has declared that over a person, it's done. Mm. You know? I, this might be a whole nother podcast that you have to do later, Brian. <laughs> but the weight, I do believe we're in this culture where there are real wrongs. Right. There is real injustice, and we're talking about it. So there's, thank you. We get we we get an opportunity to talk about it, to consider it, to repent. But there's also simultaneously, like you said, accusation after accusation, and and there's this guilt that what are we to do with this guilt? What are Christians to do with? this guilt that is coming. So forgiveness, I'm just so, I'm grateful that you're talking to us about forgiveness because that's what the gospel tells us we are to do with guilt and, and to move out with mm. it to others. You know what I mean? Move out with, right. with the forgiveness to others. So that's just a prayer for the church mm. that we would take hold of what's ours. It's ours. And it doesn't lead to inaction. I think that's often, you know, you forgive and you forget and you just act like everything's going on. Let's not forget that this woman who's and her family who are forgiving these Nazis, they're hiding Jews, mm. right? They are finding this oppressed, attacked, uh, group, minority group in their nation. And they're going, we're going to 
we're going to put our lives on the line to protect mm. them from these Nazis. So don't you can't come at it with this forgiveness leads to action or oh you just want to you know cover it over and, and not look at it. That's not forget. No, in, in, this is something they they recognize. There's horrible evils in the world. Oh, they absolutely. recognize action must be taken. Mm. They're taking action. Mm. You know, um, but there's a balance too where they also understand, and I think this is where their vision of eternity comes into play where if you think this life is all there is <laughs> i get why you want a revolution i get why you want blood on the streets but she knows that a kingdom is coming of righteousness and you see it whenever she talks about the death of her father she writes down father released mm. you know or when when uh, she looks at her the 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 body of of Betsy her, yeah. her sister when she's dead yeah, yeah. she says she looks like an angel mm. you know and I realize that she's been she's now in the presence of God um, without that this thing doesn't work mm. right because one of the the powerful things is they recognize you, you don't get justice in this life mm. but justice will come and that hope allows you to bear the slights of people. And that's what Jesus Christ, I mean, you know, he fixing his eyes on the, the joy set before him. That's why he endured the cross and he despised the shame. He didn't like it. It wasn't fun for him. You know, he didn't, he didn't, uh, in the garden of Gethsemane go, man, I can't wait to give my life for these. I mean, it was an agonizing night, but he had a resolve. He didn't feel like he wanted to do it, but he recognized the truth. And he recognized that as the God-man, as the perfect man, he was going to obey the will of God to the very end. Hmm. You know. And then what does Philippians 2 tell us? God exalts him. God lifts him up. And I think that this is uh, this, this kind of kingdom hope that Corey Ten Boom had is what sustained her and her entire family. Even the placard that was over their fireplace, do you remember? Jesus is Victor. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's that is the banner over the story and the banner over our lives. If we're preaching the the gospel and message of forgiveness, right? We're not we're not uh, what's it masochists or like people who love just pain for pain's <laughs> sake. You know, it's because remember it doesn't end with the cross; it ends with the resurrection and the ascension. Right. And so the way God plans it is. When you forgive, when you bear the reproach of Christ, mm. God doesn't just go, there you go. Look how religious you look, everybody. <laughs> no, he goes, I'll raise you. Mm. I'll exalt you. I'll lift you up. I'll and, publicly And there's also you. imagery and the gospels of to not forgive is an imprisonment. Oh, yeah. You know, right. You're yeah. in the dungeons when you're not forgiving, and then when you do forgive, you're released. Mm. So, yeah, that, that that's a great need. How do you grow that forgiveness muscle, Paul? I mean, I, I was just going to say, like, sometimes I remember, I remember thinking this like years ago, like, forgiveness is, we talk about forgiveness a lot, but do, like, do we actually define what it means? Like, if you tell somebody forgive, like we often associate it with metaphors of like letting it go, right. you know, bearing the past, not, but like very tangibly to forgive someone is to do exactly what the parable says. Someone has a debt against you. Someone uh, rightly, like you rightly have a claim against them. 
So if somebody owes you $500, do you have and like right to that $500? Someone did something against you. You have some right to restitution or compensation. And forgiveness is quite literally leveling the playing field to saying, there is a claim that I have here over you, but I choose not to exact that. Like I, it is gone. And for the Christian, the reason that the claim is no longer there is because our claim, when God had a claim to exact debt from us, he did not. So nothing that anyone could ever do to us can come close to the debt that we had to God. So for that reason, we are the servant that's been forgiven by the master. So when we encounter fellow servants who have wronged us, putting it in that light of, I'm just another fellow servant. I've gone and done horrible things as well. And I, it's, it's not right for me. It would actually be wrong for me to not forgive. Like it, it would mean that I am failing to recognize my own position as someone who's a benefactor of grace, as someone who had the slate completely wiped clean. So if that's who I am, then that definitely, one, it obligates us, but two, it motivates us. It's very like existentially compelling. Mm-hmm. Paul talked about how the love of Christ compels it. When you, when you think about like actually what the gospel entails, that cleaning of the slate, that transaction, it really does provide like motivational muscle, as you put it. When you see yourself in that light, you go, yeah, I, it's going to be hard, but I, I think I can do this. Like I'm not clean. I'm not the kind of person who had, you know, no record of wrongs. My record of wrongs was wiped clean by somebody else. So I can do that for this person too. Right. And it's all grace. Again, it's that you can't lift the luggage by yourself. You can't do that. Like you have, oh, the only way that you can do this is by God's grace. In the movement, I, I love the the imagery of the luggage. That's one of just those images in my mind. But then also the extended hand, the, the yeah. moving yep. toward somebody when you don't want to, you mm. don't feel like it, nothing in you, there's no spark, there's no whatever, but you're going to move. That's God. Mm. I'm moving towards somebody. I'm moving towards somebody. That's where, and I love you guys, and and it's just in personal conversations, I, I have been talking to you, Brian, about action, you know, acting, you know, action, action. That That's the action. Mm. You know what I mean? That's the like... We're thinking about it. The word became flesh and dwells among us. The logos becomes like an idea, a theological idea that you can expound on. And then the action is the movement oh, yeah. toward the enemy, the movement towards your spouse, the movement towards your rebellious child, the movement towards your friend mm-hmm. that just made you mad. Or somebody posted something that just infuriates you. How whoa, dare whoa, they? Whoa, whoa, whoa. We How can't forget they? everything. Let's not get crazy here. <laughs> okay. Move toward each other. And how do we do that during this time when we're socially distanced and we can't touch each other? I mean, that's what's like moving, you know, moving toward connecting, relating. That, that's just a fascinating thing that God's going to have to overcome. I mean, it really is like that imagery that you were describing there is, is like literally just an act of faith, like moving forward. You've got some evidence, like you've got a promise of God and you need to like step forward in faith and trust that God's going to do the rest. You know, the, like Elijah tells, uh, 
the Naaman to go bathe in the dirty Jordan River, right? Or like Jesus tells the disciples, go cast your net out again, right? So they're that act of faith. Like you do the, the thing that seems weird or difficult. Right. And just in that movement, that spark before like God moves in, he acts on that. He, he like encourages that. Thank you for bringing up the story of Naaman though, because it's just, so, <laughs> no, I, you don't know how important I am. Surely it's not that simple. Mm. I need this, that, a prescription. I mean, right, you right, name right, it, right. what I need to, right. to heal this. And it's like, go to the dirty river and mm. jump in. Mm. And actually, he doesn't even tell him, what does he send his yeah. like yeah, yeah, servant, servant tell him? Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We're right. much more complicated right. than that. Really? Mm. Well, it, it's well, the thing with name is he has to come to this radical self-awareness that he's, yeah, I mean, he's this. Yeah. Is he a king or a general? I mean, yeah, he's, he's, a, yeah, he's a king. Yeah, he's yeah. a king. And yeah. he's just like, I'm not going to go into this river, this filthy, like, you know, mm-hmm. I want the uh, VIP access to uh, redemption or something like that, you know? <laughs> but uh, ten- I want the fancy healing. Right. I, the want the impo- I want an expensive healing. Surely I have to pay something for this healing. Mm. Right. Well, Ten Boom, she says something that uh, the, the great, she says this, the great ploy of Satan in that kingdom of his is to play such blatant evil that one could almost believe one's own secret sins didn't matter. Mm. You know, and I think about, you know, we can exempt ourselves and say, well, I want, you know, I'm in a different class, you know, but I wonder, you know, there's so much outrage about like what they have done. You could put they as anyone Mm. (laughs) and they did. There's real sin. Sure. Yeah. But we have this tendency to go, well, forget about me and, my bitterness and my desire for vengeance and my lack of forgiveness then, you know, and Tenboom, who at, has suffered greatly, realizes, I mean, she's even, you know, in, in this story, she forgives the person who ratted them out. Mm-hmm. And she has this radical self-awareness that, wait a minute, I'm a sinner. Mm. You know, what's infecting them is infecting me, too. Mm. So I don't get to claim another status than them which is very difficult, but it's also true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's just, uh, this book, I mean, she, she's not, um, she's not like this really, you read it, you're not like, oh, this is this peppy, like, oh, it'll turn out for good. It'll be (laughs) fine. No, she struggles emotionally and, with a lot of the things that she knows God is calling her to do. She's very normal. She's very normal. Very yeah. normal, very mundane, mm-hmm. very prone to be negative even. Yeah. Maybe like her right. sister's the yeah. Yeah, yeah. positive. Right. And, and she's tempted to see the worst, perhaps. And she, you know, she's. I think there's one scene where she's trying to hide some Bibles underneath her dress. Mm. And then she says, uh, she had this feeling where she goes, you know what, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not my business whether this works. It's God. So all I have to do is walk straight ahead. And it's kind of like what you're saying, Meredith, like you extend the hand forward. It's just like, just, just do the thing. Hmm. Do it. And then, and then that's when the grace comes. Hmm. You know, they say that God, uh, God doesn't drive parked cars or something like that. Like you, you got to be <laughs> driving. That's how God steer. Or God doesn't steer parked cars. You know, there's something about that where, we, you know, we have not because we ask not, but also maybe we just do not. Like we don't actually 
take God as word and go, look, I don't feel this. Mm. This is really difficult, but I'm going to step in and do it. And this goes for some, I mean, I know, I know a lot of people who, uh, you know, like I remember in, in the conversation I had with Darlena about safe families, one of the great things about her story is she's like, you know, I mean, of course I care about kids, but like, I didn't have this huge passion. I didn't know. I just knew that the Bible emphasizes that. And then she goes, hangs out with Susan. She goes to a meeting. She just takes these small steps. And then that strong sense of calling and love happens. Mm -hmm. But it started as one little, you know, thought or Mm -hmm. idea. And she just takes that step. And I think with forgiveness, it's like, you know, it is daunting. But it's only possible if you go, if the Lord calls me to do this, he will give me the power and the strength to fulfill what he commands. The Mm. great St. Augustine, you know. Keeps coming back. Right, right. St. Augustine says, God, uh, will what you may, or what does he say? He says, uh, command Command what what you you will will, and will will what you command, Mm -hmm. right? Tell me whatever you want me to do and I'll do it. And then give me the strength. And give me the strength because I can't do it, right? And uh, it's one of those things that I think applies specifically to forgiveness. And it really, you talk about issues today and, and, even just with, with relationships between spouses or parents and kids or people within the church or in society in general, this is really something that can only be divinely accomplished, you know, because the stakes are that high with it. Mm. But, um, yeah, thank you guys for this great conversation. Meredith, this was wonderful fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, you. I'm, thank you for inviting me, guys. This was great. If yeah. you guys go... To Four Oaks Midtown, go find Meredith. <laughs> she uh, she's tall. She's got really cool hair. Got some nice streets. Just stop. Of wisdom. Just <laughs> and, stop. And uh, just go up to her, and she'll love to talk to you. So go go. We're trying to start a Meredith fan club. Here. No, thank you. Yeah, right? <laughs> read the book. Read the yes, book. Read Honor the, book the for story. Sure. Read yeah. the book yeah. for yourself. It's called, it's called the Hiding the Place. Hiding place mm-hmm. The Hiding Place. There's actually a new updated version on Kindle. Oh wow! Uh, for the anniversary of it, so you can check that out. But you can also find a paperback on on Amazon. The thirty fifth anniversary copy has a great foreword by Joni Erickson. Oh yes. yeah, that, yeah. that it's in itself. It's inc- like it's a great right. word at the beginning. Right. Go right. get it, guys. It's a great book. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you leave a review. That really helps uh, us get this podcast out there. Just leave us a nice review. Say nice things. Be like, man, Paul's voice is amazing. Brian's new haircut's fantastic. My new haircut is fantastic. You know, (laughs) and you can just put that there. That'll help us out a lot. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and thank you guys for listening.